The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to another edition of Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai and joining me as always is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How's yourself? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Looking forward to getting into this uh post pay-per-view edition of nitro with your good self quite a busy packed show to be fair quite a lot to talk about quite a lot to get through i think danny yeah definitely mate i mean they're getting they're just coming off the gears of the um pay-per-view so a lot has gone down it has indeed it has indeed uh, there is no saturday night recap on this particular edition of Nitro Nights because we covered that on the pay-per-view because the Saturday night for this week was the pre-show, I guess, for the Hogwild pay-per-view we looked at last week. But we do have some results from Monday Night Raw, Danny. Raw receiving a flat 2.0 in the television ratings this week, August the 12th, 1996. And on the card, we had Farouk making his in-ring debut actually, believe it or not, Farouk uh, with Sunny defeating Skip. So, yeah, not exactly going to tear the, you know, tear the ratings up with that one. Um, (laughs) Crush defeated Savio Vega. This was Crush's return after about a year and a half out with the whole new um, convict, no, villain, been to prison, um, drug and gun charges, uh, bad guy Crush kind of get up that they tried with him there. Uh, Henry Godwin and Phineas Godwin accompanied to the ring by Hillbilly Jim defeated, and I get this for a tag team Danny mate, get this T.L. Hopper and Who when Henry defeated Who with the slop drop after just over 5 minutes T.L. Hopper and Who what are you thinking about that? Wow, <laughs> insane 
insane <laughs> it is terrible isn't it uh we also have a discussion then about the wwf intercontinental title now being vacant because ahmed johnson is injured again and there's going to be a tournament to crown a new one and so on and then the main event of the evening we have something that at first glance seems quite interesting we have sean michaels taking on owen hart but then we find out this is a non-title match so the babyface sean michaels hasn't got the title on the line which is just weird booking and vader ends up just destroying michaels at the end of the match anyway in the build-up for their contest at SummerSlam. so i mean that goes just over nine minutes again i mean michaels owen hart could be fantastic but it just seems to be a bit of a damp squib doesn't it really yeah definitely mate and it's just it's such a shame because as wcw was going up it just feels like WWF is just not trying, or if they are trying, they're just not giving it their best. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with the card we've got in front of us here, the the Nitro that we're talking about today, I think this is one of the most packed editions of Nitro we've had. Mm. There is so many matches on this edition of Nitro, so many things going on, and for each segment of this episode of Nitro, we're getting plugs for segments later in the show as well. And it's just a completely different situation to what we're seeing. I mean, T.L. Hopper and who versus the Godwins. That's that's awful. That is awful. And then you see what's on this show. I mean, Nitro here, we'll get to it shortly, but Nitro here does kick off with a tag match that involves high voltage and rough and ready. That seems, even that, even high voltage and rough and ready being involved in, a, in the opening tag on Nitro seems a complete level above mm. the Godwins... And who and TL Hopper, I think. It really does, mate. And yeah, it's just, it, it, it's mind blowing. Yeah, it's not good at all. It's not good at all. Um, this edition of Monday Nitro, then, as I mentioned, coming out initially on August the 12th, 1996, in comparison to Raw's flat 2.0 in the ratings, this Nitro got a whopping 3.3. Uh, and it comes to us from Casper, Wyoming. So, I suppose Eric Bischoff's backyard, really, because he lives out in Wyoming now. Uh, we start the show with Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko talking about what happened on the pay-per-view two nights previous. And Tony Schiavone saying he's really disappointed with the spray painting of the title belt. It's disrespectful and so on, which I thought was a nice touch. And Larry Zbysko makes a very good point and says that he's very disappointed in the WCW guys, the Dungeon of Doom and, and various others, Sting and Luger and so on. Because when Nash and Hall hit the ring and interfered in the main event of Hogwild, nobody else from WCW came out to assist the Giant. And I think that is a really, really good point by Zabisco. Yeah, it really is, mate. And it's just like, where were they? But just going back to the um, the belt spraying, um, that I mean, had that ever been done before? Um, something like that. I know we had Mister Perfect smashing up um, Hulk Hogan's WWF Championship, but what are your thoughts, Ty, on like somebody um, kind of just like uh, just deframing the the championship belt? Um. It, it's twofold, really. I think that f- from a, I suppose, traditional standpoint uh, and loving, you know, 
the NWA and Jim Crockett Promotions. And that belt was first initially bought in in, in 1996 and, and awarded to Flair because he was the world champion at the time. And so there's a lot of history to it. From a traditionalist standpoint, at the time, I remember being disgusted by it. But that's the reaction that they wanted. Yeah. So looking at it now, in hindsight, I think it's genius. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And also, I think now, looking at it, that image of that beautiful, big, gold championship belt with the NWO spray paint just roughly done on top of it, that, that just the imagery of that is incredibly striking. And I think it really works on the level of what the end of, especially now we're seeing the weekly television. I think it really works with regards to what the NWO are. We're trying to establish what the NWO are, this invading faction and so on. It works so, so well. Yeah, it really does. It's like they're planting their flag right in the ground and I just, yeah, it's just fantastic. Yes, indeed. And if people do like that imagery, by the way, very quick, cheap plug, dive on our merchandise store because we have a fantastic big gold belt spray painted with the Nitro Knights wording design available via our, our, our merchandise supplier. So go and check that out. I'll make sure that the uh, the link to our merch store is in the description for this episode and on all our social medias as well. It's one of the many brilliant shirts, mugs, hoodies and designs you can get from the SJP World Media Merchandise Store. I love that big gold belt t-shirt, Danny. I think it's awesome. Oh, it definitely is, mate. And just one more point about the spray paint. Um, I know if you go to Hulk Hogan's Beach Shop and you buy a WCW World Championship, and I think it's more money for him to personally spray it uh, with the NWO logo. So I think it worked out in the main run. Oh, see, I don't know if I'd want that, though. (laughs) I've got a big gold belt downstairs. Virtually, like, uh, literally underneath where I'm sitting right now recording, it's hung up downstairs. And it's one of my prized possessions. I love that championship. It was a birthday present from my wife for my 40th. I adore that title belt. If I was to have it spray painted, I'd have to have another one that wasn't spray painted. Yeah. So all of a sudden, then you're looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the opening match on this edition of Monday Nitro, then, as I mentioned, is a tag match that involves high voltage and rough and ready, but they're not facing each other. They're teaming up because we have an eight man tag here. And they are coming across a four-man team from the Dungeon of Doom. Now, something really interesting happens in this match for me, Danny. Yeah. First of all, Kevin Sullivan wrestles in jeans and a kind of cut-up t-shirt and looks more badass than he's looked in weeks, in my opinion. Yeah. And also, the Dungeon of Doom are getting cheers. And not just the odd one or two. They're getting cheers. Yeah, and now you say that, it does stand out because are they are we getting a baby face turn here for the Dungeon of Doom? I don't know. Maybe people just don't like rough and ready and high voltage, and I can fully get on board with that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, this match is basically something of nothing, really. It's a bit of a brawl between all eight guys, a bit you know punchy, kicky bullshit going on. 
before well, I mean, the, the main feature of this match, I suppose, is the commentators. Tony Schiavone starts telling us that we're going to see rematches from the pay-per-view. We're going to see the Steiners take on Harlem Heat again for the tag title. And we're going to see Rey Mysterio take on Ultimo Dragon for the Cruiserweight title. Uh, I mean, if I just spent like $30, $40 or whatever it may well have been in 1996 for that pay-per-view, and then I hear we're getting so many rematches on television like, two days later, I'd be a bit pissed off. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I mean, obviously it won't hurt now, but in the future, if this keeps happening, you're going to end up losing a little bit of faith with your customer. They're going to think, well, why would I pay for the pay-per-view if you've got a habit of putting it on three television again anyway? But maybe that's something for us to keep an eye on in the future weeks, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, after we've heard these announcements, Meng hits a super kick and wins the match. And that's kind of it, isn't it? It's an eight-man tag where I think only three guys got involved. And, you know, it's, it's over after one super kick. It was a bit... I, was, I mean, literally, I've got in my notes, Meng hits a super kick, three count. Oh, it's over already. It was just oh. so... It just felt like a real throwaway... A real throwaway contest. Almost that like they're just trying to get these eight guys on television. Yeah, that's why it came across to me as well, especially with Kevin Sullivan out there and his, his just normal street clothes. Um, I found that they just, let's just chuck you guys out there. Um, I would have loved for a Dungeon of Doom explanation of where they were. Um, that's what I thought we was getting. But yeah, um, poor Rage's face got kicked right in by Ming and then pinned. One, two, three. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Rough and Ready were quite disappointed it seems to lose this eight-man tag and they beat up high voltage after the after the match and i think it's pretty safe to say looking at the crowd reaction and how i felt at home no one fucking cared (laughs) back to saturday night with you two teams (laughs) (laughs) see you laugh but you've got to watch that shit Oh dear. We get then get an explanation that Clash of the Champions is upon us. It's a very busy week for WCW this week. We've got uh well we had Nitro, then a pay-per-view, then Saturday night, obviously, and Nitro, and now another event with Clash of Champions coming up on the Thursday evening, which of course we will cover here on Nitro Nights on our next episode. The head the show is going to be headlined by Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair, though, Danny. That's quite a quite a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is, mate, and really looking forward to that, especially with, um, I mean, it's a heel versus heel match as well. That's quite interesting. Yes, and I think this comes back to the conversation we had on a previous episode here of Nitro Nights, in that the NWO are great, but they're almost like this third group, because Mm. you have the baby faces on Nitro, you have the heels on Nitro, and now all of a sudden you have this third group coming in who are battling WCW as a whole. So it kind of leaves WCW's heels in an odd spot because they're the bad guys. They should be getting booed when they wrestle the NWO. They should, in theory, be getting cheered. But then on the other side of the coin, we're going to see in the coming weeks, the NWO are are pretty damn cool. People like them. So the baby faces for WCW start getting booed rather than cheered. And it's all just one big mess with regards to crowd reaction and who you think you should be supporting and so on. It makes for interesting television, but also I don't think helps with regards to people getting over 
but yeah. we're going to come to that in the in in the you know in the next few weeks i think danny definitely mate uh sting and luger come out and there's no music no nothing they just walk out grab a microphone start ranting about how annoyed they were with actions last night and they're issuing a challenge a challenge right now we're getting in the ring and it's a challenge right now right now here is a challenge it's a challenge for right now never once do they mention who they're challenging though (laughs) they certainly don't but uh lex luger to me stole this scene by saying we hate to break the rules and bust in here but we're sick and tired of following the rules does that make sense not really (laughs) (laughs) not really at all and then he he also goes on to say like how he's fed up of losing sleep he's fed up of how you know he's had sleepless nights because of what happened at the pay-per-view the pay-per-view was only two nights ago (laughs) it's not that many sleepless nights to me no he certainly didn't look any sleep deprived, did he? I mean, um, what's the longest you've stayed up, Si, like, without any sleep? Oh, Struth, um, in my, shall we say, in my partying days, um, there was a spell of, of regularly staying up for several days at a time. But I would have certain uh, certain enhancements to to help me along with staying awake shall we say without diving too deep into my uh into my past <laughs> i get you mate I, i've stayed up two days in a row and i would not look like lex luger and i certainly wouldn't talk like lex luger here <laughs> no and the thing is we all know how much luger cares about his appearance there's yeah. no way that dude's not getting at least eight hours a night with bits <laughs> of cucumber on his face and his face mask and all that sort of we know that for a fact so stop fibbing lex you're not yeah. losing <laughs> sleep at all the only thing luger loses sleep over is if there's something on the news about a baby oil shortage coming to the United States. That's what he was a sleepover. <laughs> so true, mate. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, do we find out who they are challenging? <laughs> well, eventually Tony Schiavone does say they're challenging Hall and Nash. And then at that point, Sting does reference Hall and Nash when they're in the ring, still ranting as well. But they are in the ring shouting about wanting this rematch. Come on, out you can and, and and it's an old wrestling trope, I guess, that you would then get the other party making an appearance they would then come out whether they were uh coming out to their music or jumping the guy or whatever we don't get that here and i like that because it's different yeah and we're going to come to what the nwo say later on in the episode but i like that because it's different but it does also kind of throw a little bit more fuel on the fire with regards to the good guys the people we're supposed to be cheering for sting and luger looking a little bit nerdy a little bit geeky because they're stood in the ring ranting and shouting and the crowd are into this by the way the crowd are loving luger and sting being fired up but when the nwo don't even respond luger and sting kind of have to just t- their tails between their legs hop out the ring and go oh okay well we tried see you later <laughs> and it makes them look a little bit a little bit silly really yeah, bang on, mate. I mean, you nailed it perfectly by saying, I mean, we we not used to this, where wrestling tripe is the perfect way of putting it because you. I'm sure every fan in that arena was looking at the entrance ramp or all around them thinking, where are, where are the NWO? But the 
silence of like having no um, NWO coming out just spoke massive volumes. Indeed, indeed. I thought it was a good little twist, but didn't do. St- I mean, all they had to do, Sting and Luger, was go. All right, fine. We're going to come and find you. Yeah. And then jump out the ring and walk to the back. And all of a sudden, they don't look so silly. Yeah. You haven't even got to carry anything on from that. You can still have the rest of the show running exactly how it does. You haven't got to change anything. But the way that Sting and Luger rant and rant about having this this challenge and they're losing sleep and they want Hall and Nash right now. And then there's just no response. And they just pop out the ring and go, oh, okay, tell her then. Yeah. <laughs> it, it kind of makes them look a bit daft, for me anyway. No, it does, mate, yeah. Uh, this is followed up by a Glacier promo. We only get one this week, Danny, to my knowledge. That's correct, isn't it? Yep, it is. But I'll just write down, imagine if Sting and Lex Luger are challenging um, NWO and out comes Glacier instead. In NWO colours? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> God, that'd be a twist, wouldn't it? Yeah, and he, he did just, say there was five of them. Wow, yes, and he just does all his his, his martial arts kung fu stuff and just batters the pair of them. That's <laughs> one way of getting the guy over straight away. But yeah. sadly, no, we just get the same promo saying Glacier. Not even Glacier's coming or Glacier's arriving or a date of his appearances. Once again, it just says Glacier, and that's <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> oh so weird <laughs> it is it is uh this is followed up by a match between diamond dallas page and the renegade i had no no expectations or any level of excitement at all when i saw this was next on my screen and the majority of this match kind of lived up to that you know lack of expectation for me apart from the finish yeah the finish i loved i mean effectively we get Again, it's a bit of a cliche, but, you know, we get a lot of punchy, kicky bullshit in this match until DDP hits a big clothesline to floor the Renegade. Uh, We're then told on commentary that right after this match, we are going to hear from the NWO and they're going to answer Sting and Luger's challenge. So that's good to know. DDP then slows it down far too much with long headlocks and chin locks and so on. The Renegade starts a bit of a fight back, goes for a vertical suplex, but the Diamond Dallas Page counters that into a diamond cutter for the win. And I loved that because yeah. it looked it looked so good the way that it, it didn't look practiced or over the top or I suppose too predetermined. It was a bit clunky, a bit messy, and it looked like DDP was actually fighting his way out of the suplex mm. and then seeing the opportunity and hitting that diamond cutter. I thought that was really well done, Danny. Greatly said, mate. Um, I have two uh, talking points about this match. Um, okay. Well, more, more things about what goes on around this match more. This, uh, as I was watching this, I was thinking, I've seen this match not that long ago. So I looked it up and we actually covered this match at um, WSW uh, Fall Brawl 1995. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, we, we've so we've seen this, but these two do work real, real good together. The other thing is, did you notice who the referee was in this match? No, go on, Nick Patrick. Oh, yes, the controversial <laughs> character of Nick Patrick, yeah, because yeah, he was a bit of a naughty boy on the pay per view, wasn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. My my question is, you've just had Sting and Lex Luger out um, demanding a challenge, throwing out a challenge, demanding answers, and then Nick Patrick shows up literally the next segment without any explanation about what happened on the pay per view. Mm. I mean, on one hand, I can kind of, I can kind of be okay with that. Yeah, because I mean, you look at other sports. And again, I use that term loosely. This is this is you know pro wrestling, obviously. So it's you know saying the term sport is a bit of a, a maybe a bit misleading. But you look at other sports, for example. I'm a big football fan. You can have some absolutely atrocious refereeing decisions mm. on a Saturday, absolutely terrible. That same referee can be allocated a massive cup game Tuesday night, and no explanation given. <gasps> so I kind of kind of see from from that aspect that it, it does kind of work because the officials are supposed to be a, a, above everything else in a way yeah the one thing i do kind of stumble with a little bit is the, the footage is is there people have seen the footage um we're seeing it in the form of still pictures on nitro but the pay-per-view is available to rebook and obviously it's you know it's been knocking around for a couple of days now since the saturday there's no way Luger and Sting in in storyline kayfabe have not seen what happened. Mm. They would have passed this guy in the corridor. They've yeah. just left the ring. Nick Patrick has just come to the ring. Surely they would have had something to say. Yeah. If you're looking at it from a storyline aspect. No, I fully understand that, especially because um, at this point, um, we I don't think WWE had a lot of referees as well. Um, I mean, we I think we have uh, three or four at the minute, but I just found that a bit odd timing, but maybe it was on purpose as well. I don't think it was on purpose, mate. I think you're giving <laughs> WCW far too much credit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what follows this match then is the NWO. And we don't get a black and white promo. We don't get the music and the, the camera cuts and all that sort of stuff. They're in the dressing room. They're sat down on a sofa. Uh, Nash is wearing his Outsiders red gear. Hogan is still wearing his Terminator 2 inspired NWO shirt. Very early version of an NWO design. Scott Hall is sat there wearing a t-shirt with the WCW logo that has a red circle and a line through it. And I thought that t-shirt is so simple and ridiculous. It's brilliant. Yeah, I'm really surprised it didn't get more um, exposure because I want one of those shirts. I mean, it just sends a massive message. Danny, that would take me about 10 minutes to make if that. I'll make you one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The the promo from the NWO basically talks about how nobody wanted them in the company. They were literally the outsiders. But now Hogan has the title everybody wants them around people are bothering his agent people are bothering uh, his booking committee his booking team his representatives and he says he's getting annoyed because his door keeps getting knocked on his dressing room door and and all this they then reference the nwo title as they call it they then say that the giant's nameplate is still on it that needs changing which i liked because yeah. we've seen on nitro nights that we still have a bit of a habit of leaving the old nameplates on so that was good for the nwo to poke fun at that yeah we're then told they will wrestle tonight hall and nash will take on luger and sting 
but they will wrestle on NWO time. Not when Haw- not when Sting and Luger want them. They will wrestle when they are ready. Which I thought is fantastic. Because then for the rest of the show, they're saying you can't turn over to Raw. Because yeah. Hall and Nash will be out at any moment. When they feel like it. Exactly. And it's just stringing people along and stringing people along. And I thought that was so clever. You know? So yeah. so clever done. Um, oh, by the way, we're the NWO. We've got control of your world title. Mm-hmm. We will wrestle when we're ready. We'll meet you in the ring when we're ready. And then Shivani and Zabisco, and then later on when Eric Bischoff comes into commentary, are all plugging. Hall and Nash are going to wrestle. Hogan's going to be here. The NWO are going to be out. We just don't know when yet, so don't turn over. Such yeah. a simple ratings ploy, but they've got the hottest thing in the business, and they're teasing all the way through the show. They could turn up at any point. Yeah, I mean, greatly said, mate. And it's a thing that's been done to death so much now that has been copied from the NWO. You have stable heel stables in the future that have done this. And, I mean, seeing it, the original, um, how it was done is so much better because it's like you just can't turn over. Yes, and, and obviously, you know, we ran through what was on Monday Night Raw. Why the fuck would you want to? <laughs> but there we go. Uh, I say that what follows on our show here isn't exactly inspiring, but it's still better than bloody T.L. Hopper and who. Um, <laughs> we have Conan, <laughs> who is kind of turning heel it seems and he is taking on jim powers and conan he's not covered in his usual colorful garb he's wrestling a bit more of a heel style we have usa chance against conan in this match i mean the match itself there's not masses to it uh there's an odd arm bar kind of effort that conan applies i'm not 100 sure how it would hurt his opponent but he holds that for a while um, Jim Powers hits a nice low punch into a big knee lift combination. Very simplistic, but it looked impressive on Conan. Before ultimately Conan wins by pinning his opponent with his feet on the rope. So again, a very heel uh, aspect to the finish there. Mean Gene then talks with Conan, who cuts a heel promo. Yeah. And there's a crescendo of booze. And I'm thinking, this is great. This is the first time I've cared fully about Conan on my television since we started this project. I've enjoyed some of his matches to a degree, but he's been very bland. He's been very, you know, stereotypical mid-card guy. Here's a championship. Let's see if he gets over. It is what it is. But character-wise, this is the first time I find Conan intriguing. First time I find Conan interesting. He cuts this heel promo with Mean Gene. He's getting booze all over the place. And then at the very end, he states, I'm with WCW. (laughs) <laughs> so it kind of leaves you thinking well what's going on i don't get it mm. but it does make me want to see more because i'm hoping it leads to more yeah fantastically said mate it's just like yeah what is he going to do next i mean he's saying he's with wcw but um i believe he the one of the announcers i think it was Tony shavadi said that he was taking inspiration from hollywood what hollywood hogan did so it's a bit, mm. yeah, like, what is going to happen next? <laughs> and also, that was interesting as well. We're, we're getting the commentators saying that he's taken inspiration from Hogan and how Hogan is out for himself. And Conan's decided he's going to be out for himself. And the first words out of Conan's mouth are, 
let me tell you something. Yeah. And I don't know if that was intentional. Again, it's WCW. It probably wasn't. But <laughs> I thought it was very good. Yeah, same. We have a really odd combination next, though, Danny, don't we? This is a strange match for me. Not not the actual match itself, because I'm going to get yeah. into that in a moment. And I'm going to be probably, to the surprise of people listening, and maybe yourself, I'm going to be quite complimentary. But this is an odd combination. We have the in-ring debut of a guy named Ron Studd, who we have seen before. And he is taking on Chris Benoit who pretty much comes up to a bite Ron Studd's knee. Because Ron <laughs> Studd is like seven foot plus. This guy is yeah. a giant. Uh, we've seen Ron Studd before, Danny. I'm assuming you know who he is. No, I, I forgot to look him up, actually. It was, uh, it was something like uh, okay. that. <laughs> who is Interesting. It? He is the Yeti. Oh, no way. Yes, wow. it is. The Yeti is back as, John's, as Ron Studd. Sorry. Uh, in a match like this, where you have a legit giant and then a, a much smaller guy who is perhaps a more technically sound wrestler like Benoit. First of all, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what the hell am I watching? This is going to be terrible. Yeah. But the story they tell makes perfect sense. Ron Studd is bigger and stronger and more powerful. He uses that on Benoit in the initial moments of the match Benoit can't really get a foothold in the contest because he cannot match Stud for size and power before Benoit starts working the knee which takes Ron Stud down to the mat so all of a sudden then he's in Benoit's territory and Ron Stud is struggling to stand he's struggling to put weight on his one leg because Benoit works this knee a great deal eventually Ron Stud kind of battles his way back into the match makes the ludicrous decision to climb to the top rope, struggles because of this bad leg and the fact that he's a seven-foot monster trying to climb to the top rope. And Benoit catches him up there, hits an incredible superplex and pins him for the win. It's only a couple of minutes long, but I think Chris Benoit here is is superb. He has carried this guy to a quite... It's not just a passable match... I ended up enjoying it by the end. Yeah, me too, mate. Uh, to me, this was the match of the night because okay, it just told the story of like um, as you, when you're watching this and for the first time you're just like, I thought that Ron Stubbs was just going to walk all over Chris Benoit and Benoit was just going to get a sneaky win or something like that. But now the story that they told, as you just put it as well. Um, Ron Stubbs just getting his knees worked over and Chris Benoit chopping him down. Um, but yeah, as you said, that that superplex, wow, the crowd's reaction on that was just massive, mm. wasn't it? Well, it, it's an incredible visual, isn't it? Yeah. A guy that yeah. size, it, it, it's pretty spectacular. Uh, mean Gene then speaks with Benoit in the ring, who is, of course, as always, accompanied by Woman and Miss Elizabeth. And Benoit rants on about the four horsemen having an agenda. They've got an agenda. They've definitely got an agenda. And he seems stuck on this. It's like somebody has said to him, mention we've got an agenda. They've given him that bullet point and he's really ran with that because that's all he talks about, isn't it? It is, mate. And Gene just casually drops in that Chris Benoit will be facing Giant this Thursday at The Clash. I found that very odd because I know we have Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair, 
But shouldn't the Giants' first match be his rematch for the World Championship? Yeah, potentially. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose you could explain it away in that perhaps the Giants... I, you know, I, 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 I know this doesn't happen, but if we're looking at it in 96, as in we're, we're in that timeline, you can explain it away that the Clash is an additional event. Ah, Flair versus the world champion is already booked for it. So it would have been Flair versus Giant or Flair, Flair versus Hogan. And the Giant potentially could have his rematch at the next pay-per-view, which tends to happen when titles yeah. change in wrestling. But that would make far too much sense. And we're talking <laughs> WCW for crying out loud. So yeah, again, look, but- we, we, we spoke, I think it was last week, wasn't it? When we, when we covered yeah. Hogwild, we spoke about where does the Giant fit in now? He's yeah. dropped the belt to Hogan. We're going to Hogan Flair. Savage has also got a title shot lined up against Hogan, which I thought was going to happen on this Nitro, but obviously doesn't. Where does the giant fit in? It's kind of the uh, the conversation we had last week. And I think yeah. this is the first example of really backing up our concerns for, for Paul White and his character. Yeah. Because it is a case of where does he fit in, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. And this um, match with Ron Studd, is, is, it was sh- solely put on the card to show that Chris Benoit could work with a giant and be successful as well. And it, it did make me excited, despite, um, well, just saying, I, I am excited to see the giant versus Chris Benoit, and that should be good. I'll be honest, if you told me we're getting the giant versus Benoit at Clash of the Champions... I'd be thinking, eh, okay, let's just see what it's like. Yeah. After this, I'm thinking, okay, this was a pleasant surprise. This was a big surprise to me how good this was. And again, I'm not saying it's a five-star classic, but when you consider Benoit is, what would we say, 5'10 tops? Yes. And he's working with a guy seven foot plus who has got no real recognizable wrestling ability to this point in our watchback anyway. Yeah. And it ends up being as good as it was. I'm now more interested in Benoit versus the Giant. So I suppose from a booking standpoint, WCW have done their job here with this contest. But also Benoit has done his job because he's proven to me that he can put on, he can carry a guy like Ron Sturge to a passable or better than passable contest. The Giant is obviously more talented than Ron Sturge. That's intriguing. Yeah. I hope we see more of Ron Sturge. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, After we get the announcement of the giant Benoit at Clash at the Champions, uh, we have our countdown to hour two, and we are joined by Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan, and lots of pyro and all the usual razzmatazz and shenanigans that go along with going into our second hour. And we get a match that was, you know, again, available on pay-per-view only uh, two short days ago for the world tag team titles. Um, it's Harlem Heat defending once again against the Steiners. Harlem Heat come out with Colonel Robert Parker, who again looks like a knobhead, and <laughs> Sensational Sherry, who again looks a million bucks, Danny. Yep, she certainly does. And I just had a note here saying I love Harlem Heat's overall presentation, um, even with Rob Parker. I mean, he, he's the he's the low man on that, but yeah, I love the entire presentation. Yeah, they look they look badass, don't they? Let's be honest. They look yeah. bad. and they're two massive guys as well. Um 
here, I think we get another example of the Steiners never really selling for anybody for any long period. Yeah. It was spoken about it before, but here it really be- does become apparent again. And I sort of thought to myself when I was watching this, how much the the Road Warriors back in the 80s and the Legion of Doom in the early 90s, they got over by being this this tag team that is effectively a killing machine they would just run over their opponents especially in the jim crockett promotions days in the 80s and eventually that gimmick kind of was a hindrance to potentially them and their tag division because nobody was made to look competitive against the road warriors yeah or or as incredibly rare that happened and there are some circles that criticize the road warriors for this the Steiners here, to me, are just as bad. This is the second time we've seen them in the matter of a couple of days with regards to our 96 timeline. It's the second time we've seen them take on the World Tag Team Champions. And they don't really allow the World Tag Team Champions to get much in. And I'm sort of thinking, should they not maybe sort of be branded with the same brush as the Road Warriors a little bit here? Because what they're doing maybe brilliant at that moment when we're watching it and it is it is impressive the steiner brothers are impressive don't get me wrong i I love watching the steiners but does it help the 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 product the tag division and your tag champs in the long run if the steiners are just not letting anybody get any offense in it's a fair point mate like the way i looked at this i mean it was what this Steiner Brothers story was going on which was the Steiners were just showing pure rage because they were so angry about what happened at the pay-per-view but yeah it's just like um, hopefully that will be improved by the next time we see them yeah I mean this match doesn't go on for very long and I've got three separate occasions in my notes that say Harlem Heat now take control and the very next note says nope so that sort of gives you the impression of how long they were on the offense for. Yeah. Uh, we get a rehash of the WrestleMania five finish between Rick Rude and the ultimate warrior here, which is a finish that I don't think we see enough of. I think it's a really clever, simplistic finish. It's, it's a suplex from uh, Scott Steiner. He's suplexing one of Harlem heat into the ring as they are on the apron. And Sherry on the outside plays the role of Bobby Heenan, who was Rick Rude's manager at WrestleMania five and trips his, his opponent, holds the leg so they can't kick out. And I'm thinking, that's a great finish. But then Colonel Parker's in the ring for some reason. I don't know if he's running away from Rick on the outside, and he ran in the ring to escape him. And he kind of stumbles around and bumps into them. Nick Patrick calls for the bell and says that the Steiner, I think it's Nick Patrick, it may not be, sorry. But that the referee, was... anyway, calls yeah. for the bell, awards the match to the Steiners, Obviously, the Harlem Heat keep the titles because it's via DQ. And I'm like, well, what's Parker doing? He just looked like an absolutely blithering idiot, stomping around the ring, not really knowing where he was going. And then the beeline he took for the pinfall attempt to bump into the competitors to cause the DQ was so predetermined. It was so fake, for want of a better term. And I hate using that reference when it comes to pro wrestling. It just ruined the whole thing for me. I mean, Danny, talk us through what you saw and how and how you took this in. I took this as 
I'm hoping, I mean, because we know Harlem Heat are now not happy with Rob Parker. I took this as this could be the end of Parker's association with Harlem Heat. I and, bloody hope so. Yeah, yeah, same, you and me both, mate, because I think that's what they're trying to tell. Um, I'm hoping, yeah, let's just hope. <laughs> it just made no sense to me. I mean, I, I understand they're trying to get the bicker in between Harlem Heat and Sherry and, and all that sort of stuff and, and Colonel Parker as well, but it's like, again, it, to me, it comes down to a company that is in a big transition. Hmm. We've got so much good going on. I mean, our next match, for example, is Rey Mysterio versus the Ultimo Dragon. And it's fantastic. We've got the Benoit stuff that, you know, with, with Sullivan and, and so on, and, you know, his opponent, the Yeti, today. Benoit's fantastic in the ring. Dimalenko in the ring is superb. It's very progressive. It's very much looking to the future. And obviously, we've got the NWO stuff going on as well. And then we've got guys like, you know, rough and ready and knocking around and the nasty boys and Colonel Parker as well. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Why are these people still hanging around on the prime, the, you know, the number one show? Mm. You've got Saturday night for stuff like this. You've got worldwide for stuff like this. Why are they, why is TV time being taken up by these guys? When you've got this huge roster, I mean, it is a massive roster. I mean, eventually they end up with over 140 wrestlers signed to this company with regards to the power plant as well. At this point, it's not that many in any way, shape or form. It's a lot less than that at this stage, but it is a massive roster. There's a huge amount of guys not appearing on this TV show. But yeah, Colonel Parker does. Yeah. And I just think, I I just don't understand that. No, I, I fully agreed. I mean, I, like I was saying earlier, I just hope it, this is the end of Rob Parker, but I, I would like to see him get a beat down at least once more before he has to go. <laughs> mm. I'll, I'll tell you what, actually, thinking about it, Danny, Eddie Guerrero yeah. wasn't on this card. Arn Anderson wasn't on this. No, that's true. Di Malenko didn't wrestle on this card. You know, who's our US, uh, sorry, who's our television champion, by the way? Ooh, yeah, can't. exactly. Yeah. I can't. I can't remember either. Yeah, but yeah, Colonel Parker and Rough and Ready are on the show. Wow, inside. Yes, a little bit on the frustrating side, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, we then get a recap of the Medusa match from Hogwild and the smashing up of the what well, the attempted smashing up of the Honda motorcycle. Medusa struggled a little bit with that, and then we get another recap. Uh, this time of the cruiserweight contest between Mysterio and Ultimo Dragon from the pay-per-view. The thing is, Danny, with this, we're getting a lot of recaps from the pay-per-view and they are still images. They're not you know, video footage because obviously the pay-per-view is available to, to rent again. The on-call presentation, as they call it, is available from, I think, the Tuesday, they say. So I understand why they're not showing us any footage. We've had an issue with this in the past where there's been too many recaps. Yeah. And we get a recap followed by a Glacier ad, followed by a magazine ad, followed by two more recaps. And I'm just thinking, I want to see some wrestling. Here, there's a lot of recaps on this show. But mm. to me, it's done so much better than it was in the past. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, they're saying that the encore presentation is tomorrow night, the Tuesday. And it's like, but here we're giving you 
the best bits that on the pictures that you can go and buy the pay-per-view and then see the entire thing. Mm. It's very smart, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, like we, you, you can go and see all of this right now, but then if you wait until Clash of the Champions, um, there's even more matches as well, so you get sort of an extra day of WCW content. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, we get another reminder that Hall and Nash are going to be wrestling on this show, but we don't know when. It's on <laughs> NWO time. And again, I bloody love that. Yeah. And in the same breath, we're told Flair v. Savage United States title is happening. Arn Anderson versus the Giant is happening. I mean, spoiler alert, it bloody doesn't happen. <laughs> but at this point, we're getting told these things are coming up too. And I don't, again, I come back to I wouldn't turn the channel over. I'd, no. be, I'd be wanting to see the you know, 15-year-old me at this point in 1996. I mean, I'm a huge Shawn Michaels mark. And 15-year-old me was an even bigger Shawn Michaels mark than I am now. I know. Some people would believe, wouldn't believe that's possible. It's true. <laughs> Michaels versus Owen Hart. If I was watching this that Monday Night Live and had to make a decision, I'd be very tempted to turn over and watch the Michaels match. Yeah. That aside... There's nothing on the other channel to get my attention. Whereas here, I'm getting told Flair v. Savage, that was a main event at one of the first WrestleManias I watched years ago. Yeah, we've got the Outsiders arriving at some point. We've got the Cruiserweights coming up. I'd be, I'd, I'd be really hard-pressed. I'd, I'd be very, you know, it'd be a really difficult decision. Do I turn over and watch Sean, who's my guy? Or do I stay with this? And I'll tell you what, I, as much as I love Michaels... I don't think I'd turn over. Yeah. Plus, we've got um, Arn Anderson versus the Giant as well. Well, they said that we, we're getting that. So, like, it just seems like if you're thinking about turning over the channel, do not because we've got four more matches left with all these big stars. It's worlds apart from what we're getting on the other channel at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and we obviously we know that the WWF turns it around, and fantastic things start to happen eventually. And it's going to be very interesting, I think, Danny, with our our project here on Nitro Nights, recapping what's on the other channel before breaking down Nitro each week, and then when we get into Thunder starting and comparing that potentially with SmackDown when that begins, and so on. I think it's going to be very interesting seeing the tide turn on certain weeks and when certain things happen on the other channel that affect the ratings on this channel and so on. I think mean, that's going to be really, a really interesting discussion going forward. Yeah. Uh, up next is something that I find incredibly interesting. Rey Mysterio versus Ultimo Dragon. Yes, we saw it at the pay-per-view. Yes, it would be frustrating if he, if he turned out the money to buy it on that occasion. But I don't mind watching this again because these two guys can really, really put a match together, can't they? They really can, mate. And I'm, I'm loving this little rivalry now. Um... It's just, yeah, loving that the fact that they just they had a fantastic um, opening match at the pay-per-view, and now they're here um, a couple of days later. I can't wait to see where they go next. Yeah, it, it will be very interesting. Um, the match begins with a flurry of kicks from Ultimo Dragon, with Bischoff yelling about how fantastic his martial, martial arts skills are. And it did look very, very good. And early on, Danny, it is all Ultimo Dragon, isn't it? He controls the early parts of this match, doesn't he? He does, mate. And one thing I was really impressed with is at one point, Dragon, he gets a, a kick in, but then parlays it into a backbreaker. 
And I thought, wow, that's really yeah. cool. He is very, very good at what he does. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Dragon misses a move from the top, or is at least caught by Ray as he attempts a move from the top. And Mysterio Jr. then hits a flying head scissors and then a plancher to the outside, which was absolutely spectacular. Uh, Ray tries a top rope moonsault then, and he is then caught in midair with a drop kick from the Ultimate Dragon. That is so incredible. The timing of that spot is insane. Yeah. A couple of moonsaults by Dragon get near falls. Uh, before he goes for what I think was going to be a power bomb, he does do that sort of running sit down power bomb effort. The Ultimate Dragon, Ultimo Dragon, sorry. Uh, before Ray counters this into a kind of sunset flip and then almost a cradle effort for the win, and it almost feels a little bit like an upset with how this match was going. Yeah, it I does. thought this was brilliant. Yeah. And the funny thing about this, as I was watching this, um, it was announced that Rey Mysterio was going to the WWE Hall of Fame. And I thought, wow, the timing of that is <laughs> like, I'm sat here watching one of his best uh, opponents and him wrestle. And then he's uh, announced for the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, loving the journey that he's on. I mean, with regards to Mysterio being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame this year at, at WrestleMania, I think it's, you look at his WWE run, when did he come in? 2000 and late 2001, beginning of 2002, something like that? Yeah. yeah. So he's been with the company 20 plus years. What he's done on WWE television alone is incredible. We have the whole Eddie Guerrero stories. And then when Guerrero passed, we have the the winning of the Rumble, going to Mania, winning the belt and all that stuff. So many great moments as well with Edge in a tag team and all, you know all that you know, SmackDown Six and all that sort of stuff. But this is a Rey Mysterio that's established at this point. There's name value there. He just has the the WWE machine behind him. I look at what Rey Mysterio was doing here in '96 and then in '95 before this in ECW. People had not seen this on US soil before. Yeah. Now you watch, especially you, if you watch AEW or, or any number of other independent companies, people doing moonsaults, planches to the outside, flying head scissors, and all that, all that flippy floppy craziness, is commonplace. Yeah. But in the mid nineties, it was new. Nobody had seen this before, and we're watching a match here between Ray and Ultimo Dragon. That's twenty. What we're on about? Well, pushing twenty five plus years old, I guess. And it still feels fresh. It still feels like you could put that exact same match on today and it would work. Bang on, mate. Yeah. And I'm one of those people who have never seen uh, much of Rey Mysterio's WCW. I certainly haven't seen it from the beginning until we started doing this project. And it was like, wow. So he's been in WCW just, uh, I would say, just over two months now. And yeah, just loving where he's going. It's it's the influence for me. It's the uh, again just how influential Ray was with regards to so many other wrestlers who came after him. Yes, okay, there was Luchadors before him, and there was Luchadors wrestling at the same time as him. But Ray was the first one to come to the states 
and do it to the level he did it. Yeah, okay, you had Liger, and you, and you had, you know, Ultimo Dragon, and you had, you know, Psychosis knocking around as well, and all, you, you know, there are other names, Emil Mascaris was in the Rumble and wrestled on WWF Division, all this sort of stuff, but Ray had this marketability that the others either A, didn't have, or B, it wasn't capitalised upon. Yeah. And also, he was here effectively as a full-time performer. Liger wrestled for WCW years previous to this, and was hugely popular. But Liger wrestled for New Japan. Liger was always a New Japan guy. So when he wasn't appearing at, say, Super Brawl or whatever, or the first Nitro, he was going back to Japan and wrestling there. And, and there'd be big gaps in the year where you wouldn't see Liger. But Ray, he's here every week. He is the Cruiserweight champion. And he is, to my, in my opinion anyway, he is so impactful and influential by being that guy at that time that kind of changes it kind of changes the wrestling world for me you yeah. think up you think up to this point we're, we're in august of 96 everyone has been you know okay since since the the, you know, the 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 territory is dying out then shall we say in wrestlemania kicking off and you know the, the last couple of territories hanging on into the late 80s and all this sort of stuff it's been Big, strong, muscly guys, big guys with charisma, whatever. And then here comes this little tiny dude in a mask that flips and flows all over the place. So many years have been dominated by the size of Hogan, the charisma of Hogan, the warrior and all this sort of stuff. And even on the other channel, even even with Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA going into WCW in the early 90s and so on, you've got Sting, you've got Vader, you've got all these huge guys larger than life and so on ray kind of bucked the trend he's this tiny little cruiserweight and here especially at this time in his career he's a tiny little cruiserweight he bulks up massively when he goes to wwe you look at his body shape in wwe in comparison to here i mean i'll tell you what those protein shakes must be full of something good eh? you know what i mean <laughs> but he uh he changed the game yeah so the fact that he is getting the recognition he deserves going into the wwe hall of fame for being so impactful and influential and again i'm not saying he was the first i'm not saying he was the last i'm not saying he was necessarily the most important overall but the impact he had at this time and then the longevity of his career in the states this guy i think i think there's an argument for Rey mysterio to go down in the top five if not top five 100 percent top 10 of most important wrestlers to, to get into a ring in the United States. Yeah, definitely agreed, mate. Okay, great stuff. Uh, we get more recaps after this because we have a recap of Flair versus Eddie Guerrero at the pay-per-view, which I really enjoyed. I thought it was a very good match. Yeah. Before we go to what I guess has been billed as our main event up until we're told Hall and Nash are going to be wrestling at some point, and that is Flair v. Savage for the United States title. And at this point, I'm starting to think, we're not going to see Arn Anderson versus the Giant, are we? <laughs> I had the same feeling when I, I just um, clicked the, uh, the little um, uh, that line that has the um, the time remaining. And yeah. uh, I was thinking, I was thinking, yeah, the same thing. I was like, oh, are we going to see either of those matches? Because I was expecting this match to go along. But 
the highlight of this match for me was how it started. I love okay. Randy Savage running to the ring full of rage and he just goes for choking Ric Flair because he's got all this aggression built up on him. It, it was very, very believable. Yeah, I mean, Savage playing that that wild man, angry and, and out for revenge, really suits his character, I think. And I mean, they've been Savage and Flair have been doing this for years now. They've been battling on WCW TV for as long as we can remember, going back with our watch back. Yeah. Uh, but you go back to 1992, WrestleMania 8, Savage took on Ric Flair there for the WWF title. And that was about Miss Elizabeth and Ric Flair saying he had an affair with her and all that sort. So they've been doing the same kind of thing for a few years. But it doesn't get tired. It doesn't get old to me because Ric Flair... You know, along with Shawn Michaels, to me, Ric Flair is, is the greatest to ever do this. Randy Savage is up there as one of the best of all time as well. A babyface Savage taking on a heel Flair. It, it, to me, this is this is just perfect with regards to professional wrestling. It's done so often, yes, but it also gets done so well, I feel. Yeah. Uh, the match starts very quickly, as you mentioned, Danny, with Savage attacking Flair. Eventually, it feels like Flair has took a bit of control because he goes to the eyes. He gets Savage in the eyes. Savage shakes it off quite quickly and starts uh, sort of sending Flair all over the place into the corners. And, you know, you get the punches and so on from Savage uh, before they fight into the aisle a little bit. And this is where we get an advert. The the, the network show, the WWE Network show, um, fades to black because Nitro on that night had um, an ad break. When we come back to the TV program, Ric Flair is in some semblance of control, I think, Danny? He is, yeah. And we see Ric Flair um, apply a figure four. And uh, it's just that. But I did want to mention, it was one point in this match, style where Macho Man spat at Ric Flair. And normally, I mean, you know how I feel about that. But in this mm. instance, I think it worked because, especially the way Savage ran down in the ring, he's just like, I just want to just kill this guy. So he's going to do everything to... Uh, get one over on Ric Flair. But yeah, um, Flair's got hit, um, Savage in the figure four. Yes, he, he's worked in the over for a little while and, and snaps on the figure four. And he's yeah. you know, obviously doing the whole grabbing the ropes and women's helping him and so on. It's funny you mentioned the spitting as well. I mean, I, I don't enjoy that whatsoever, but I think Bobby Heenan needs a bit of praise here. We were a bit critical of Heenan in the Hogwild episode we did last week because he was, shall we say, he'd had one cocktail too many was doing the commentary for that show. But here, I think Bobby Heenan's back on form. He's back being his, his normal, excellent self. And Heenan constantly referencing the Macho Man, constantly talking about Savage as being crazy, as being a madman. When you see stuff like him attack Flair at the beginning and then actually spit on his opponent, it becomes more acceptable. I mean, it's never okay in my eyes, the whole spitting thing. But it becomes more acceptable to me. Because yeah. Bobby Heenan has sold the fact this guy is a lunatic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's very good again by Heenan. Uh, we get a ref bump then, which uh, kind of came out of the blue. I wasn't really expecting that. I don't know why, but there we go. Um, and we're on the outside of the ring. Savage then starts tearing up the crash mats on the outside, which is something I don't think we've seen on WCW TV to this point, Danny, have we? No, we haven't, no. 
So that's quite interesting. And he's setting up to pile drive Ric Flair on the concrete floor, which is quite, you know, nowadays you, you think of all the stuff that ECW did and the crazy stuff that we see in death matches and all that sort of stuff. It's, it doesn't, you know, begin to sort of even scrape the surface, I guess, of some of the stuff we see in wrestling nowadays. But for 1996, threatening to pile drive someone on the concrete floor, that's that's a big deal, I think. That is, yeah, because um, it's like, yeah, yeah, the audience isn't desensitized, as you were saying about the ECW point. It's like, wow, he could actually kill him out there. I think back to... Oh, can't remember. I think it was a Saturday night's main event where um, I want to get this right. It was Jake Roberts, DDT, and Ricky Steamboat on the floor? Yeah, I don't know if you remember right. that. Yeah, I remember um, even watching that around 2009 or something, and I was just thinking, "Wow, like that actually looked so real." And here, he could have done the same thing with the um, the floor because. To me, the floor isn't really much of an illusion. I really do think that would hurt a lot worse than it would with the, just the cheap little mats there. Yeah, I mean, those mats are obviously they're only a couple of inches thick, yeah. but they do provide padding and they do do. I mean, we used to have them in PE when I was at school in the 90s <laughs> uh, and, and they would provide a bit of padding rather than hitting the hard wooden floor of, of our yeah. school gym. Getting picked up and having your head rammed into concrete would be a completely different kettle of fish to hitting that mat oh yeah and we've seen Mick Foley do it numerous bumps on on the floor and yeah it, it just to mm. me it just looks so painful with regards to the the steamboat uh, Jake Roberts DDT spot that actually did end up being a little bit you know of a timing issue potentially or a little bit i don't want to say the term botch but something went slightly wrong with it because steamboat ended up seriously hurting himself because it, it, it didn't quite go according to plan shall we say i encourage people to yeah. go and uh, check out some interviews with steamboat and, and jake the snake roberts and so i think jake at one point in a, in a shoot interview explained it as think either feeling or sounding like he just smashed a watermelon on the floor Ooh, nasty. So, yeah, not good. But there we go. That's a story for a different day. As Savage gears up for this this pile driver on the concrete, here comes Hulk Hogan. And I'm thinking, what the bloody hell is he doing here? And he's coming down and he's got a chair. And I mean, he basically, we'll come back to it in a moment, but he hits Savage with two chair shots. And Ric Flair goes on then to win the match. He uses the ropes to pin um pin savage retain his championship whilst the commentators are really pushing the fact that hogan didn't touch flair and they bring up again the the idea of the fourth man the fifth man who's joining the nwo so that they're hinting again at flair potentially being nwo Mm. so i thought that was an interesting touch there because it keeps you guessing and makes you makes you want to keep watching so again i think that's very clever however the two share shots are, are what I want to talk about because yeah. the second the second one was a typical Hogan uh, and people criticize him. There's the famous gif online of him wearing the 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 jacket, I think it is, with the Oh N B. Yes, yes. Yeah. With regards to the new blood faction and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's the one of the worst looking chair shots of all time. I I understand the criticism because it does look like shit. But Hogan's <laughs> trying to look after his his opponent his his, his yeah. colleague 
And I think that's quite, well, especially nowadays when we know about all the concussion issues and all that sort of stuff. I think that in a way, yes, it needs to potentially look better because it ruins everyone's suspension of disbelief. Hogan also, I think, needs to be applauded here because he's going out of his way to make sure people don't get hurt. And the second chair shot to Savage falls into that category for me. Yeah. But the first one, he wallops him on the back, but the rim of the chair, the framework of the chair, I think it catches Savage right on the base of his neck, and it looks nasty as shit, Donny. Oh, it does, mate. And it's funny you use the word wallop, because that's exactly what I wrote down as well. <laughs> My notes wrote, uh, read, here comes Hulk. Hulk wallops Savage with a chair, and it looked nasty. I mean, just, oh, yeah, it was a bad it- one. It'd be interesting to see if there was any uh, any concussion issues for, for the Macho Man after this, because it did look like a bit of a nasty one. But there we go. As Jim Ross says quite often and quite accurately, this isn't ballet. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> but just just a question on chair shots, um, Si. Yes? What, were, what was your opinion on when AEW did a, a chair shot with Cody Rhodes and Sean Spears a few years ago? Ah. Uh, that was, um, if memory serves, that was uh, unprotected, straight yeah. to the noggin. Yes. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm not going to lie, I don't like it. Yeah. And uh, I've got no issues with chair shots to the head in a working sense. I, I think WWE have gone so far the other way it takes away a little bit of the belief because with WWE and somebody gets a chair, you can see their opponent positioning themselves to get hit in the back or hit in the stomach. Nothing is to the head or above the shoulders anymore. Yeah. So, and again, I, I can't, I, I completely understand why. And I'm completely on board with the safety of the people who are going out there every night of the week to entertain us. Yeah. But I also think you can still swing a chair to somebody's head and do it in a way that you can work it. I mean, The Rock springs to mind. Whenever The Rock would take a chair shot to his head, it would be hugely obvious that the chair is hitting his forearm yeah. or his hands as opposed to his actual head. So from a storyline standpoint, you still get that chair shot to the head, but The Rock, in theory, is perfectly safe. Mm. So to me, not having chair shots to the head at all doesn't really make sense. I think it does take away from the product a little bit. Yeah. Again, we come back to WWE and, and the back and the torso only kind of looks a bit a bit weird sometimes, especially when you've got a heel who's a nasty bastard looking to cripple his opponent, or you've got a baby face full of anger and revenge, and the, the shot to the head is there, but they turn around and hit them in the back instead. It kind of takes away a little bit of the the suspension of disbelief i suppose but again i I understand why it's there and i agree with the safety of of the competitors must come first the shot to the the shot on AEW, completely unprotected wallop to the head that has no place in modern wrestling as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah if they they have to hit somebody in the head with a chair storyline wise kayfabe wise get your fucking hands up yeah Get your hands up, gimmick the chair, do whatever you need to do to make that safe. And there are ways of doing it to make it safe. Mm. 
if you're just walloping someone in the noggin with a chair to try and get some form of impact, some form of point in your storyline, some kind of drama added to what's happening on the show. If that's your only motivation, that, well, I can't see any other motivation, but if that's, if that's why that chair shot happened, that's bullshit because you're endangering yeah. somebody's well-being, and it's, it's ridiculous. Get your hands up, gimmick the chair, do what you need to do. If you, yeah. can't, if you can't factor that in, then the WWE approach is the one that has to be done. Hitting yeah. the back, hitting the torso. But there are ways, there must be ways of them taking chair shots to the head perfectly, I wouldn't say perfectly safe because you're swinging a metal chair at someone's noggin for crying out loud. But there must be a way of doing it with regards to gimmicking the chair uh, or protecting yourself or whatever it may well be that dramatically reduces the danger, then shall we say. A chair yeah. shot, a, a, an unprotected chair shot to the head like like the rock was giving mick foley back in the day and so on there's no place for that in modern day wrestling anymore no i fully agreed and i think another point could be made where wwe's camera cuts do i mean we all complain about them but i think they always have it head on when um it comes to chair shots because a large part of that of having a working chair shot is when the camera cuts to the side and then you don't see the person, the opponent putting his hands up or anything like that. So yeah. Yeah. Spot on, spot on. I think there was, I think there's ways there must be, these guys are professionals and you've got the, all the money behind these companies and so on. They make a lot of money to do what they do. Mm. There must be a way of doing it safely. If there is a way of doing it safely, then do it safely. You, if you yeah. take an unguarded shot or you give an unguarded shot or you, your opponent, your company, your road agent, whatever, discuss giving an unguarded shot, then you're a mug. And you're a mark for the business and you're a mark for yourselves. That's, that's, that's nonsense. You shouldn't be doing that. There's no need. Everyone knows how wrestling works now. It's not a, oh, you'll be in a worse by getting your hands up. Everyone knows how wrestling works now. Everyone's fully aware of the risks. Allowing that to happen now in modern day wrestling is 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 pretty careless, in my opinion, and pretty dangerous. Yeah. But yeah, there we go. Um, after that, again, we have more ranting about where is Ric Flair's allegiances? Is he NWO? Is he this? Is he that? We get a Hogwild recap of the title match and the title change. And then a little bit about how the booty man came down with a birthday cake and got his ass handed to him by the NWO, which we both both loved, Danny, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we see Hogan again. Hogan comes out to talk with Gene and he's holding the NWO world title, as he references it. I'm not 100% sure what Hogan's point was here. He rants a little bit about how they've got control of the world title. He's going to beat Flair at Clash. Uh, the NWO are taking over. And then he starts talking about how people are going to be starting to, starting to be given nicknames. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, chance for a little bit of humor here. Let's see where he goes. And he starts talking about Ric Flair. And he says, Ric Flair, the nature boy, we're going to give him a nickname. His nickname is Stupid Little Man. And I'm thinking, <laughs> eh, you kind of missed the mark on there, haven't we, really? He certainly did, mate. Um, I loved this um, this interview because it, it drove 
further the um, point where Hulk Hogan's a heel. And it also, to me, it brought up how much Hulk Hogan has changed in being a heel because Mean Gene, I mean, he's we've seen him um, miss Mean Gene since being a heel. But here, I, I felt this was like a two-man show. This wasn't just a Hulk Hogan interview. This was Mean Gene also getting a lot of shine in. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I mean... Mean Gene convinced me to feel bad for the booty man in this because that's how good Mean Gene is. <laughs> Have he you been drinking? Italy. No, just kind of. <laughs> 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 no, but that, that's how, how convincing he was here. He was like, how could you do that to your best friend of over 20 years? And um, Hulk Hogan just showing no remorse and then saying that NWO has a mission. Um, yeah, it's just fantastic stuff. We get another recap of the NWO attack from two weeks ago. And we see Arn Anderson down with the injured arm and woman and Elizabeth looking upset and so on. And I'm thinking at, at, at the end of the show, it becomes apparent. And I think it's very clever. But at this moment, I'm like, why are we seeing this again? This is a bit odd. We've seen this yeah. several times already. We've moved on from this, I thought. But there we go. Yeah. <laughs> we then get told, or at least Eric Bischoff is told from the truck, and he passes the information on to us, the viewer, that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are on their way. They're coming. It's now time for them to wrestle. And they come through the cla- come through the crowd. And I thought that was class. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic stuff. And we get told uh, Macho Man has been stretched out as well uh, as they're walking down the ring. Mm. Yes, indeed. Um, Sting's music hits and Lex Luger walks out on his own. What are you thinking at this moment, Danny? I thought that Sting had been attacked. And me. Yeah. Loved it. The suspense so of like, oh man, they've got Sting now. Um, I sat there just saying, oh, this is going to be a two-on-one affair. Um, yeah, loved the fact that they all touch. Yes, it was very good. Luger does well on his own for 30 seconds or so. And the crowd are massively into this. They are fully behind Lex Luger. And then Sting comes through the crowd and jumps the outsiders from behind as well. Really cleverly done. It's basically a bit of a brawl. I mean, the bell has rung. We have a referee there. Nick Patrick, the, the head WCW official, is there. But there's not much of a wrestling match going on. All four guys are fighting pretty much the whole duration of this. There's no real resemblance of a proper tag contest. Um, Sting gets thrown over the top rope, which should be a disqualification. Nick Patrick blatantly sees it, but chooses to ignore it. <laughs> and then the four horsemen arrive, and I loved this. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong, the horsemen are supposed to be heels, but I loved this because the horsemen arrive, the NWO, well, the outsiders, apologies, they they turn tail and leave. They're through the crowd, they're gone, they're not having any part of this whatsoever. Nick yeah. Patrick also bails, which is interesting. We'll come to that in a moment. And we have the image of the horsemen in their four horsemen shirts standing with Lex Luger and Sting united against the outsiders as Hall and Nash tuck tail and run. And it's the first time WCW have got a little foot up in this invasion storyline. It's the first time WCW have been made to to look strong, I think, in comparison to the NWO. H- what did you think about all this, Danny, before we get to the Nick Patrick stuff in a moment? 
loved it, mate. Um, Hall and Nash won in, uh, well, I've wrote down their Scarfer because, I mean, they're obviously outnumbered. Um, and I also had this feeling of um, Hall and Nash are going to come back even stronger now because they've kind of been upstaged here. Um, but I love the storytelling now that, I mean, if you, as I was watching this, I actually um, remembered uh, Lex Luger and Sting were horsemen at one point, weren't they? Yes. Yeah, they were very much. I suppose. I suppose it's it's a bit of a running joke from that time frame, that time period. In that, the Horsemen when they started were obviously Flair, Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, and Tully Blanchard, with JJ Dillon as their manager, which was I think an extra touch that wasn't necessarily needed, but worked brilliantly because all four of those guys could talk, but they still had a manager as well. So I think it worked very well. And then Ole eventually left. And you had almost like the fourth guy in the horseman. Whoever that was, you were waiting on the horseman to turn on him. So it happened initially with Sting, and then it happened again with Luger. And it was it was a quite a clever little ploy, booking-wise, by Jim Crockett Promotions back in the day, in that that, that fourth individual would be in the horseman for a period they would then turn on them for whatever reason. I mean, different reasons with regards to Sting and, and Luger, but it all boiled down to that they had, had, you know, aspirations to take on Flair for the world title and the horseman didn't like that. It would instantly get that guy over. Yeah. It was a really clever little booking ploy that they used, especially with regards to Sting and then, and then Luger afterwards and Luger leaving. Luger had Barry Windham turn on him in a tag match and Windham became the fourth member of the Horseman and that incarnation of the Horseman with Windham, Flair, Tully and Arn Anderson is actually my favourite incarnation I love that version of the Horseman but yeah it's, um, it is interesting you say that Luger and Sting were both at one stage members of the Horseman going back many many years but they were also turned on by the Horseman and both given pretty big ass kickings if I remember rightly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you emailed me a couple of them um, not too long ago. But as I saw that, I was thinking, wow, that's so cool. Like that, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because here, the horsemen are now with um, Sting and Luger. But yeah, I absolutely love this little um, ending to this Nitro. Fantastic stuff. Yes, it is. It's really good, and it'd be easy to keep having the NWO just running rough shot over everyone. But here, I think this is done really well because it, you don't want the WCW side of this this war, I guess, for, for want of a better term, this invasion storyline, I guess. You don't want WCW to keep getting beaten and look weak because then it waters down what they're trying to do. Both sides need to look competitive. I mean, ultimately, going forward, we know what happens and other people who have seen WCW know what happens, but we won't get into that now. That's for future episodes. But here... WCW have got a little foot up on the NWO. They've got a little bit of an advantage for once. And the NWO still don't look weak because they've yeah. got control of the world title. They're running away because they're outnumbered, basically six to two. And I think that, I mean, it's so cleverly done because all of a sudden you're like, wow, okay, I've got to watch next week because... The Horsemen, well, I've got to watch The Clash even, sorry, because The Horsemen are standing shoulder to shoulder with Luger and Sting, two guys that they feuded with for years. 
but they're allies because they hate the NWO. And the show goes off air basically with Ric Flair and the Horseman with Mean Gene. But Flair's the only one who speaks, cutting a promo about I hate Sting, I hate Luger, but we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder because we're WCW and Hogan. I'll see you at the Clash, and and that was really well done as well. Really, really good stuff there by Flair. But before we get to our ratings with regards to now that episode being being concluded we need to talk about nick patrick danny yeah yeah we didn't see well i I didn't anyway see what happened until we got the replay and tony Schiavone brilliantly sorry eric bischoff apologies brilliantly explains this on commentary as well saying he didn't see it until the replay either but nick patrick actually can be seen on the replay they show, so it's obviously part of the story. They're trying to, you know, highlight this because of the replay they're showing us. Sting runs in for a stinger splash in the corner. Nick Patrick rescues Scott Hall, or so it seems. Bobby Heenan offers maybe a couple of other options that might have caused what we see. It appears, anyway, at first glance, Nick Patrick pulls Scott Hall out of the way. What are you thinking about this, Danny? And with regards to there being more question marks around the WCW head official, Nick Patrick. I'm feeling the fix is in. He's got to be aligned with them. I mean, it's just too coincidental with that. Um, but I'm loving it, though. Just, uh, I mean, yeah, where is it going to go next? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Where will it go next? And well, I'll tell you where it goes next. Clash of the Champions which we will be looking at next week on Nitro Nights. But before we get to next week, we need to give our ratings and our summaries and our final thoughts, our plus points and our negatives on this week's episode of Nitro with our woos and our oh brothers, Danny. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, sir. You crack on, bud. So with I'll start with the old brother. Um, it was unfortunately, uh, I mean, we alluded to it earlier, just not getting Arn Anderson versus the, versus the Giants. Um, I don't know if that was because of timing issues or or whatever, or maybe just part of the storyline, or if if the Giant was even there or not. Um, yeah, I mean, I was a bit disappointed because it, we didn't even get, we did see Arn Anderson, but no Giant. So yeah, that was mine. Yeah, okay, I understand that. Uh, my old brother is quite simply Colonel Robert Parker. <laughs> if this is leading towards a split where Harlem Heat go their separate ways, hopefully they take Sherry with them. And uh, as far as Robert Parker is concerned, just get off my fucking TV. <laughs> I'm putting you in the same bracket as the Nasty Boys. Don't want to yeah. see you anymore. Yeah, back to Saturday night. <laughs> exactly. Danny can watch that every week. I'm done. Um, <laughs> your woo, then, my friend. Your uh, your positive for this week's episode. Mine has to be um, Ron Studd versus uh, Chris Benoit because I was just blown away of how um, you just summed up perfectly earlier. I mean, you you go into watching this match into thinking, oh, this is not going to be anything special, but it really was. And this is the best we've ever seen uh, the Yeti as well mm. yeah I mean uh, mine is very very similar uh, when you described it as Benoit on stud sorry when you described that contest as the best match of the night yeah. I, I, I've got to disagree with you there my friend 
Yeah. I think the Cruiserweight title match was the best of the night. Yeah. But my uh, my woo, sorry, isn't necessarily for the match. It's for Benoit himself and yeah. getting that quality of a contest out of the Yeti. And again, it's nothing spectacular. It's it's working the leg, it's chops, it's kicks, uh, it's the superplex finish and so on. But it was far better than I thought it was going to be. And it's got me really intrigued to see Benoit versus the Giant at the Clash. And that goes down to, I think, Chris Benoit's performance and his ability as a professional wrestler. So for me, the woo this week is Benoit getting that level of match, as short or as simple as it may well be, out of the Yeti. Yeah. I mean, job well done to him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, when we get to the Clash, we're not going to get anything that we really want because we're just going to get Kevin Sullivan involved and all that sort of Dungeon of Doom bullshit nonsense. But it's nice to dream for the next couple of days, I think, Danny. It is, mate. Yeah, certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Finally then, this episode of Nitro. Hit, miss or middling, my friend? This would be a high middle for me, mate. Um, There was a lot of good stuff on this, but it was just um, not having that um, advertised main event just put it down a little bit from being a hit. Um, yeah, yeah. High middles, mate. How about you? Wow, okay. We disagree again, my friend. This is a <laughs> massive hit for me. Ah. I loved yeah. this episode of Nitro. There was there was so much wrestling on it. Yeah. And again, I keep coming back to that statement I make almost every week. It says wrestling on the poster. There was numerous wrestling matches on it. Yes, okay, some of them were short and some of them had guys in who I'm not a fan of, but it was what it was. I think each segment furthered storylines on. Yeah. I think it's a really nice, nicely booked, well-written buffer between the pay-per-view and the Clash event. So it, it's a hit for me this week. That's cool, mate. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, so then, next week on Nitro Nights, we will be taking in the Clash of the Champions event from August 1996. Uh, there's not many of those left. I think we get a couple more in 97 before that whole Clash of the Champions kind of format is is done and dusted once and for all, which is a shame because there's a lot of history around the Clash events. But yeah, looking forward to it, Danny. Me too, mate. I mean, we've had a lot of fun. We've, um, I think we've done two or three and yeah, they've always been fantastic. Yeah, good stuff. Before we depart, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all the brilliant shows you are involved in? You can hit. You can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggler. You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking the Clash of the Champions with the great Cy Powell. I've told you before, stop it with all the great stuff, mate. I'm, I'm just... I'm just lucky and privileged to be able to uh, talk about wrestling with so many brilliant people such as yourself, but I appreciate it, but stop it. You make me blush. Um, (laughs) Anything I'm involved in, you can find on the network that carries this show and that's SJP world media. So if you search SJP world media on all your podcast players, platforms and providers, you will find the main stream that the network provides and all new episodes every week from all of our shows pop up on there. So we have stuff looking at modern day wrestling with regards to In the Corner with Benny Mac and Tyler Peters. We have regularly scheduled hostilities, uh, looking at reg, you know, WWE and modern day wrestling from the, the United States with our trio from Ohio there. We have Wrestling Nostalgia. We obviously this show and various others as well. Various other podcasts looking at 
TV programs, music. I mean, Danny mentioned back back when that he does with Tyler Peters, looking at all sorts of different subject matters from a nostalgia standpoint. The Murder in Mind podcast I do with our good friend uh, Morty. We have a show looking at Doctor Who, which is currently on hiatus because it's finished its third season, but we'll be back very soon for season four with Dan Griffin. Uh, the Waiting Room with Benny Mac, myself and he looking at Quantum Leap, uh, the old show there from the 80s and early 90s with Scott Bakula as Sam Beckett jumping back and forth through time, putting right what what, what once went wrong. Bloody hell, I'll have to go back and put right that sentence. That went wrong. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so much going on. So much going on on the network. And you can follow the network on Facebook and Twitter at SJP World Media. But most importantly, you can follow this show itself on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Nitro underscore Nights. It's at Nitro underscore Nights. Be sure to check out our merchandise store as well. The link for that will be in the description for this episode, as well as all over our social medias as well. Um, Virtually every show on the network has its own merchandise. Certain shows, such as Chain Wrestling, Nitro Nights, Doctor Who Pod, and so on, have their own albums inside our merch store. So if you're only interested in WCW merch, only interested in Nitro Nights merch, apologies, go and check that out as well. And by buying a mug, a hoodie, a t-shirt, some stickers, whatever it may well be, there's plenty of options there from our, our brilliant merchandise supplier. It It supports the network, and it makes providing these shows possible uh, running a network costs money having all the formats there costs money having all the little um, platforms to record on and share the shows and go live on a monday night with chain wrestling and all that great stuff um, even down to designing the logos and, and designing the shirts themselves it all costs money to run so if you enjoy this show or any other show on the network please just go and treat yourself to some merchandise we get a little kickback and it helps with the running of the network so that's at sjp world media and at nitro underscore nights danny i am looking forward to the clash event my friend it's going to be fun me too mate awesome stuff i will speak to you next week take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening